5, 1 through 10. And it reads, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of God, the majesty, the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the, rec- with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame men leap like deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of the jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You may be seated. Thank you, brother, for that scripture reading. Thank you for your contribution to this tonight's services. You know, it takes courage to uh, get up before uh, a group of people and either speak or sing, maybe for the first time leading singing or uh, scripture reading, leading prayer. Um, I, you know, I'd, I've always wanted to go like to individual men and say, tonight I've got you down for song leading. You know, uh, for some that would be extremely uh, nerve-wracking that you would have to get up and lead singing, and that may not be what you're comfortable with. And our young people don't get to choose. I sort of tell them, well, tonight you're doing this. Sort of got to step out of your comfort zone to to uh, maybe fulfill a role that is a little more difficult, but you don't know unless you do it whether or not it is a gift uh, that God has given you to be able to do those things. So I appreciate you and your courage to stand up. You know, this passage that Matthew read the last portions in a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it it shall belong to those who walk on the way even if they are fools they shall not go astray no lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it they shall not be found redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Why did my Why did my Savior come to earth to redeem me, to ransom me, to allow me to be able to come to heaven? As a parent. One of my greatest fears would be to have my children taken away from me. To, to be where we were someplace and, and they got lost and they were away from me and some evil person had them. That's a great fear of mine. I'm, I'm very protective of my children. 
When I have our young people with us on trips and things, I'm very protective of your children. And I would fight to the death for them. I'd pay any amount to get them back, wouldn't you? I'd give up every earthly possession I had to get my children back if they were lost, if they were kidnapped, if they were held against their will, captives. Wouldn't you pay whatever price was asked of you? You'd lay down your life for your children, wouldn't you? I would, in a, in a heartbeat. But also, I would teach my children, if I loved them, to fight against those who would take them. To put up a fight. I've talked to my young or my kiddos, and I might, I've talked to our young people as well, as if, if something were to happen and someone tried to take you against your will to fight, to fight to the death if you have to, but I'd rather know that you didn't make, but you fought like crazy to live than to be taken captive against your will. Because chances are, if that happens, you're not going to live anyway. So, why is it that we allow ourselves to be taken so easily into this, into slavery of sin. To give our lives to and be held captive by sin. We weren't forced at slavery, but we walked freely into the slave master's snare. We walked willingly. Turn with me to Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. God knew that walk willingly into the, the snare. He knew that we would be held captive and he still loved us so much that he provided a way out. Mark ten forty five reads, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a or many. Tonight you have a question asked, how much does that mean to you? How much does it mean to us that, that Christ paid the ultimate price so that we could be ransomed? He laid down his life even though we willingly walked into the snare of the devil. It shows great love. We sold ourselves we sold ourselves, and without a redeemer, we would be enslaved for an eternity, locked in chains and shackles that will never rust away. We chose to be alienated from God. Some of us still make that. We willfully sin. We throw off our and we take on the chains of slavery. Slavery is an ugly word. There's no good use of that word where it sounds pretty and nice. <clears throat> but the worst kind of slavery is to be bound by Satan, be bound by sin. It's the worst kind of slavery because it's eternal. If you don't do something about it, it's eternal and you're never going to break loose without a Redeemer. Without God sending His Son... We could not return to him. When Jesus gave his life for ransom, slave masters, sin and death, and the devil were forced to give up their claim on us. It, we're not living in Bible times where Satan 
can get a hold of someone and keep him against his will. He has been bound. Christ did bind him. He still has powers and he still has his way, but he can't hold you against your will as in the days of uh, the Bible in Jesus' time. We can break free. We can break free. We can choose to do better. But ultimately, if we've sinned one time, without the blood of Christ, we are lost. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. I mean that an heir has long... As long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, Redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Why in the world, when we are heirs of God, sons of God, would we choose to go back into slavery? To, be, to go back and be a master of sin. God must redeem us from the slavery of sin. But all too often we choose to run back. Even though we had run away and sold ourselves into slavery and willfully disobeyed God, He loved us in spite of it all and sent His Son. It wasn't an easy thing to do. God's Son, Himself God... And holy, the creator of the universe, perfect, never knowing sin, had to come to earth and take on the form of a human being, suffer at the hands of the unrighteous, and finally be put to death in our place to pay the ransom. Yes, God loved He sent His Son to pay the ransom. Why did my Savior? He came to call sinners to repentance. Turn with me to Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke chapter 5. One of the great sermons... Through the years was a man I speak of him often is uh, Marshall Keeble. And he's a, he was a black preacher of the 30s and 40s, and he probably baptized more men in this country than, than anyone I know. Uh, somewhere over the 30,000 mark is what I've heard. But he gave a sermon, one of his, and you can YouTube it, uh, uh, The Great Physician was, was uh, the uh, title of the sermon, and it's one of my favorites. Of his, and it talks about the prescriptions that physicians write out, and that if we're wise and want to be healed of what disease ails us, we will follow the prescription that is written. We won't question it. We won't. We won't try to go around it. We'll follow the prescription if we want to be healed. 
Well, the prescription that the physician writes is repentance. If you want to come out of sin that causes death, you must repent. And Jesus answered and he answered them, those who are well have no need, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The great physician called to repent. He came to this earth, our Savior came to this earth to call us to repentance. He called sinners. First, the ransom must be paid for those enslaved by sin. But after the ransom was paid, then there could be the call that would come for sinners. The call is based on the ransom as well. Without the ransom, the call cannot be made. This call that comes, as we've seen, the the great Macedonian call, this call to turn from sin, to repent, and to come to God has been ringing now for some 2,000 years. But many don't hear it, won't hear it, refuse to hear it. Many today can this. I've heard many times, well, I was called to go and do this by God. I received the call from God to go and do this thing, whatever that thing might be. That's not the call. That's not the call. The call is the same that it has always been to repent of sin and become an obedient child of God. That's the call. Why do we turn our ears off to the call? Why do we continue to sin without repenting? It's because we the slavery. We like that lifestyle better. We like what it holds for us. But without repentance, we cannot be saved from our sins. The blood of Christ, He alone can pay for our sins. But it only comes when we answer that call. Uh, the forgiveness of our sins cannot come without answering that phone call. You know, I've phone calls that I've had through my life. You know, I remember, I remember being. Uh, I thought it was a huge deal. My great grandmother and I would call each other. And when I first learned how to punch the numbers, I'd call her, and and she'd call me every night and talk to me. And I was long for that call to hear her. And I remember that. I remember being a little boy and uh, doing that. I remember a call when I was a freshman. Two of my really good friends that I roped with were killed in a... Two brothers were killed in an automobile accident. And it was an early morning fog. And I remember the call my dad answered. Walking up the stairs and telling me. But I could hear, his voice. I could hear the call and I, I remember it. I remember that day. I remember the call of loved ones that have died. I remember the call of loved ones that were born in this world 
Remember uh, calls of those that, uh, you know, uh, young people that had put on Christ in, in the middle of the night, I get a phone call. Those were great calls and memorable calls. But the greatest call that ever went forth came through the blood of Christ. And we have a chance, an opportunity to either accept that call, to answer that call, to be a faithful, obedient child of God, or to reject that phone call. Not the phone call, the call. You know, we often, I've had phone calls, you know, from telemarketers or, you know, somebody you just can't get off the phone with and you let it go to voicemail sometimes. You're like, eh, not right now. The call of Christ is not one to put off. Today may be the only day you That is not the one to put off. This evening, He's calling. He's calling from His Word, through His Word. And He's been calling for a thousand years in the same manner. God loved us that he sent his son to call us to repentance. Are we listening? Why did my Savior give sight to the morally blind? Turn with me to Luke 9.39. I'm sorry, John 9.39. John 9.39. We know this story. Phil spoke of this story, uh, I believe this morning, talking about the, the blind man and that was healed. And we, we know this story. Uh, this, this man was born blind. Pharisees, uh, well, uh, Jesus asked, first of all, by the disciples about this man. Was it he or his parents who sinned that caused this blindness? And... They didn't understand. The, the religious world didn't understand about sin at that time. And they equated physical ailments with sin. That he was blind, somebody must have sinned. It's somebody's fault that this man is born blind. And this answer to verse 3 of 9, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That was the reason that man was born blind. I often wonder and think, and I know Phil and I have talked about this, about folks that are born maybe in uh, worse circumstances than I was, that have problems and issues and ailments, and you often wonder why. They may wonder that themselves. What if it was for the glory of God? What if it was for our response? But we are all... We are all uh, fallible. We are all blind to certain things. And we need to remove that blindness. Christ came to remove that blindness. In uh, Matthew 9, we know how that story ends. But Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, 
your guilt remains. It's easy. In the world we live, it is easy to be blind. Do we choose to be blind sometimes? I think the blindness sometimes is, is our own choosing. We want to bury our heads in the sand and, and pretend everything's okay. Sometimes it's by This week, a man died, preached to hundreds of thousands of people that all they must do was to believe that Jesus Christ lived and to say a prayer that they were and that that would be enough for their salvation. To ask Jesus into their heart. I thought about the reunion he must have had with some of those that he taught this false doctrine to. And I wonder what that conversation was like. We have no reason to be blind. We have the word of God. You and I can study God. The truth is, I don't have to be led captive, enslaved by a man who doesn't preach the truth. I have God's word. You have God's word. We can judge for ourselves what is true based on God's standard, his word. Christ came so that we wouldn't have to be blind, that we wouldn't fall into blindness. Our problem isn't just needing a call. We are also blinded by our own thinking and the world's influence around us. Parents, we need to open our eyes. Grandparents, our children are living in a different world than, than was spinning around 20 years ago. And there are lots of things that can blind our children. Media, phones, internet. Uh, there's some bad things out there that can physically, not physically, spiritually, blind our children. Would, would you allow your child something dangerous that could blind them physically? Would you let give them explosives the explosives that could scar <clears throat> scar their eyes? And the answer is no. We wouldn't do something that would physically blind our children, but I'm afraid often give them things that could spiritually blind them. We allow them to make choices that could spiritually blind them. We need to have our eyes fixed on Christ. We need to have our hearts, our minds, our ears open to the Word of God. That's how we avoid today. Yes, God loved us so much that He sent His Son to give sight to the blind, and I'm so thankful that He did. He came also. Our Savior came down because... He had to bring a sword of separation. It isn't that God. Be turning with me to Matthew ten thirty four. Matthew ten thirty four.
You know, I've, I've read this passage over and over, and it's a hard saying, isn't it? It's a hard, I mean, it, it cuts to the thing that is the closest to us, our children, our family, our, our loved ones. And, and there's not much slack that's given here. In Matthew 10, I think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword, for I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. You know, I cherish the relationship I have with my children today. But what happens when the day comes if they chose to be unfaithful to God? That's tough. That is tough. And, you know, do we stand behind the words of God or do they mean nothing? If we believe in the word of God, we have to. To deal with these issues. And I don't necessarily. I'm not meaning here that we have to shun our family. Or shun those who are outside of Christ. But we have to make an uh, approach to them. We have to to reach out to them. And if it becomes an area that competes between their life and their livelihood. And what they're doing versus serving God. Then we have to draw a line in the sand with the sword. If there is something, and if there are people, if those dearest to us, that would cause us to lose our love for, then we have to sever them as well. And that's tough. He wishes that all would be ransomed, repent and choose to see. But he also knew there would be those who would reject his son and his word. He knew that with our ability to love, And to have emotion for those around us, that we would also have human flesh and feelings, and our emotions sometimes will compete for our love for Him. The love we have, that pulling, nagging feeling we have for our loved ones, can compete for the love of Christ. And if if that is happening, then we have to make some very hard choices. When one chooses, they are choosing a radical path with radical choices to be made. When I study with young people, when I study with anyone, I try my hardest to instill in them that this is not a light choice. This isn't an easy choice. This is something you need to really think about because there's no such thing as a so-so Christian. We have to be radical Because this world is drastically different than the Christian's world, the Christian's life. We have to live totally different. And it's hard to do in the world we're living in today. It calls for radical, being a radical Christian. And I don't mean being a nut. I mean standing up for what the Word says and following it in our lives, no matter what the outside world thinks about it or or says or does. If you're going to be a true Christian, 
willing to separate ourselves from anything and everything that would stand in the way of our love and service to God. But most of the time, those choices aren't that hard. Most of the time, it's not cutting off a child. Most of the time, it's cutting off things like work. And it's cutting off things like sports and extracurricular activities. It's cutting off the things in this life like the television and the things that, that programming we don't need to be watching and, and movies we don't need to be seeing and Facebook and things that we go on that consume our time and our energy and our hearts. Those are easier things to cut off. It's better to cut those things off than to be cut off from Christ. Yes, God loved us that he sent his son and in his hand put a sword of separation. Will we be separated from this world? Will we choose to also take up that sword? My Savior came to save us from condemnation. Turn with me to John 3. John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 17. Go back and get 16. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. But let's look at 17 first. For God did not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In Genesis 1.27, we're told we're made in the image of God. He made us different than all the other creation that he had made before. With some of his greatest... He gave us an eternal soul. He loved us so much that he wanted us to be able to be with him eternally. He made us also to be able to choose right from wrong, to have willpower, to be able to will ourselves to do what is right, to be obedient or to be disobedient. He made us with the ability to have emotions such as love and the ability to do great things because of that love. But with giving us that great ability and that great love love, and to do good, the ability to do good, he also had to put within us the ability to choose evil and to do evil things. You think of that shooting. I don't know what went wrong in that young man's life. But Christ and His Word could have been the answer. He had within Himself to love and do things on the opposite spectrum as He did to do evil and those tragic things. Within the heart of man, we have the ability to love and do But we also have the ability to choose to do evil. And to choose to do sin. But Christ came. Condemned. Unfortunately. This life is full of those choices. 
Our young people today are having to make more and more choices against good and evil, I believe, than we had to growing up. Young people, you can make the right choice. Much of the world is making the wrong choice, but you can be the ones that make the right choice. You can be the ones that remain faithful. You look at this pew of eight Christian young men. At this point in their life, they are able to stand up, preach, teach, sing, read scriptures, and do wonderful, great things. But they also have the potential to fall away from the Lord. It's a choice. You have the choice to make whether or not you will serve God faithfully the rest of your life or whether or not you'll give. I pray that you're going to make the, the right choice. I'd love to see all eight young, these young men serving God as older men. And they can. But much as God loves us, we were his masterpiece. We were the final piece of the puzzle to his creation and it was a glorious piece that he made his prized possession and as much as he loves us and as much value as he puts on our heads he will destroy us in an instant if we choose to reject his son although it pains because he although it pains him he will do it because he is holy but it doesn't have to be that way He provided a way out. Even though we had the choice to do good, he knew that we would choose to do evil, and he still provided a way out. God still loved us so much that he sent his son so that we did not have to be condemned. He came finally because our Savior came, because he loved us enough to lay down his life for us. John 3.16 For God so that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know that should in there gives it an option. You shouldn't have to perish but there are many that choose to do so. God sent him son because he loves us. And it's a love that I quite can't quite understand, and I don't think any of us can. That a God, that He created a beautiful world to put us in, to give us all the beautiful things that we our eyes could behold, to provide everything that we possibly need. But He gave us one choice to make, and that was to either choose Him or to choose our desires, our wishes, our wants. And that first sin sealed the deal for mankind. We are lost without another plan, without a a better plan. But that plan, it wasn't a failed plan. It was a plan in the mind of God from the beginning. He knew that when He created us, we would fail. And so he provided a way out. It's hard for me to say Nat Ayers. And I know God knows Nat Ayers. And has always known Nat Ayers. That he still loves me. And that he loved me before the first sin I ever committed. And he knew I was going to commit it. But I think the best we can do.
prepared to try to understand. Have our children pointed us? I know mine never have. No, I'm not even going to say that. They do things. They're naughty. They do things in spite of knowing that there's going to be a punishment and they still choose to do wrong. And after we shiny the hiney and square things back up, we still love them, don't we? Don't we still love them? Don't we love them if they do it a hundred times? On their worst day, we stop loving them. We don't. I've seen Christians that have had to separate themselves from their worldly children. But they still love them. Still pray for them. Still hope for the best. How much deeper must the love of a holy and perfect God be for His masterpiece, His children? I think tonight substantial proof of the love of God and His Son. The question tonight is, how much do we love God? God knew in His infinite wisdom when He made the garden and placed man in it and gave him all he would ever need that man would still reject him and enslave himself to sin and the devil and need and would need to be ransomed so God sent his son God spoke to the Bible and through the time they would follow him I'm sorry and though at times they would follow him he knew that they would time and time again reject him and his commandments He allowed the blood of animals and sacrifices to be made as an atonement, but that wasn't enough. Even though God loved his people, it wasn't enough to bring about the change that was needed. Only the death of Jesus, a perfect loving Savior, was enough. It was the only option to bring the lost to repentance. So God sent his son. Although God desired man to follow him, we still rejected his way. He knew we would need a living example if we were going to find the pathway to heaven. When, with the darkness of the world, it would be hard to find the way without the perfect light source. He knew only Christ could open the eyes of man's heart. So God sent his son. God knew that it is in this world and him. He knew there would be so many things that compete for our love. Our jobs, the media, school, sports, even our blood kin sometimes. He knew it would be difficult, so he brought a sword and he put it in the hand of his son. Yes, God separates us from those things that would keep us out of heaven. But he knew it was going to be hard to choose, so he sent the best choice ever. So God sent his son. God loved us in ways he made us like him. He put an eternal soul within us. We were his masterpiece. Perfect creation. But he knew we would sin and we would have to, he would have to destroy us. He would have to annihilate. So he knew he had to devise a divine plan to save his masterpiece. So God sent his son. God knew we would raise in his love and he still loved us. 
God knew we would choose the world, sin, and Satan above Him, but He still loved us. He knew He would send His only beloved Son, mocked, lied about, shamed, despised, beaten, and murdered, and He still loved us. God knew that you and I are here tonight thinking about how much He loved us. And He knew what our response He knew it. He already knows it. He knew in order to make that decision to follow Him that He would have to do something awesome and great and sacrifice His Son. You were in His mind when He He knew tonight because of His love for us that we might believe in Him and His Word and through repentance become obedient children of God. So God sent His Son. So what does this mean for you and I? What will your decision be tonight? God knows it. He knows right now what's on your heart, the burning decision some of you may have to put on Christ. What's that going to look like tonight? What will it be? We all need to make that decision to reject this world, throw off the chains of sin and bondage, and once and for all follow the God, our God, who sent his son. If you're here tonight and you believe that Jesus is the son of God and you'd be willing to confess that, to turn your life from sin, and to God, you can be buried with Christ in baptism. God knows the outcome right now. What will the outcome be? If we can help you at all, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?